The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, um, welcome to our Dharma practice days. And um, for those of you who have never been to one of these days, we're in a sense uh, following a sequence of the training in Buddhism that the Buddha gave that uh, is not so known, well, well known this sequence, but um, it begins by listening to the Dharma, hearing it, and then discussing it, and then practicing it. And so the idea of discussing it is an important part of practice, listening, discussing, and practicing. And so part of the function of these Dharma practice days is not just to do individual practice, silent practice, which is often the, a big characteristic of our insight meditation movement. It's, it's pract- our, our particular movement is really good for introverts. <laughs> and, um, but um, it's also uh, really important to have some time to explore the Dharma, the practice, the teachings, what happens in practice, in community with other people. Something very important happens in community. We understand ourselves better, we understand other people better, we understand something about the practice. And there's something about discussing the Dharma together that allows us, that stretches the mind, um, stretches our thinking, our, stretches our heart, our feelings, to kind of open up into new areas maybe we wouldn't have thought about otherwise. Uh, many people who do these Dharma practice days will tell me that Nowhere else in their lives do they have a chance to have this kind of focused discussion around particular topics. Um, so um, today we'll do a combination of some meditation, some teaching, some guided meditation, and some discussion. The discussion uh, sometimes will be maybe the whole group, sometimes small little subgroups, sometimes it might be between the two of you, a pair of people. And uh, the topic for today is compassion. And uh, it's, a, uh, it's part of a series this year on the, what's called the Brahma Viharas, the, the divine abodes or sublime abodes. These are four, I think of them as four forms of love, which are championed in Buddhism as being important things to cultivate, very useful, and which also um, uh, becomes a reference point for ethical decisions in Buddhism that uh, uh, it's often useful to have some kind of reference point to find our way through some, some of the more complex ethical issues in our lives. And so one of the uh, uh, questions to ask, uh, is it kind? Is it friendly? Is it compassionate, what I'm about to do? Does it rep- does it, is it informed by love or is it informed by anger or hostility or greed or something else? And asking those questions, is a, using that as a reference point, is often a very important way in Buddhism for finding your way forward. So uh, the four forms of love are uh, metta, karuna, uh, mudita, and upekka. And uh, metta is usually translated as loving kindness, uh, karuna as compassion, and mudita as sympathetic joy, and uh, equi- and um, Upeka as equanimity. And uh, so uh, the first two uh, day-longs we did loving-kindness and now today and then in December we'll do compassion, explore compassion. Uh, 
And, um, and it might be um, significant or helpful for you to know that I'm not sure what compassion is. So, you know, I might say all kinds of declarative statements. That's what spiritual teachers do. <laughs> but um, don't be fooled by those. <laughs> the, um, but, you know, you know, what is it? And so today, especially, I think it's partly a day to explore what is it. Some of you might really know what it is exactly. So I'll learn from you. You have declarative statements. Or maybe there's another way of kind of feeling our way, exploring it, and kind of not, not assuming we actually know exactly what it is. So it allows us to kind of open and stretch into new understandings that are a little bit outside of our normal kind of simple answers or, you know, historical answers that we have. Um, so we're doing compassion. And the usual word that's translated as compassion is karuna. Uh, but there is a second word that uh, sometimes gets translated into English as compassion. Sometimes in the translations it's translated as sympathy. And that is um, uh, anukampa. And if you go back to the earliest texts of Buddhism, the Pali Canon, there seems to be a, a big divide between how these two words are used. Um, the word karuna tends to be used uh, almost exclusively uh, in relationship to uh, meditation practice. Meditation practice on compassion. Um, anukampa seems to be much the sympathy or compassion or empathy is much more uh, uh, used in reference to uh, what you might feel in day-to-day life as you're living your life, running into people, bumping into people, and you feel moved by their suffering, and you have sympathy for them, and you maybe want to do something for it. For it. Um, and then the word, um, and the word I've read from I don't know if it's true, but scholars of uh, Indic languages and Indian, Indian religions have pointed out that um, the word karma it comes from the um, same root as the word karma. Uh, so kur is the root, and it means to do to make, to create. And uh, so we have the English word, or now it's English, the word karma. And, um, but the words karma and karuna before the Buddhist time uh, were closely connected to Vedic rituals. And karma wasn't just any old actions that you did, but it was ritual action. Ritual action. Because in the ancient Vedic times, what was uh, religiously efficacious, meaningful, was to do rituals of uh, sacrifices and, and offerings to the gods. And that was a big part of Vedic religions. And so, and how you did the rituals, the particular form and style was very important for the, the effectiveness of these rituals. And so the sac- you know, a, lot, a lot of this connection to the sacred through an ancient Vedic time seems to have been through rituals. And the word karma was closely connected to these ritual activities. And so when the Buddha adopted the word karma, uh, it has a, in ancient, his time, it had a resonance with a spiritual action or sacred action, as opposed to just, at, nowadays we just maybe think of it as just action or cause and effect, that, what it means. And the same thing with karuna. Karuna also seems to, at least according to scholars, seem to have some resonance or connection 
to this idea of sacred action uh, back in the Vedic times. So I don't know what to make of this, except that I like it. I like it because uh, uh, the idea that uh, compassion or karma is um, uh, both, but somehow uh, um, uh, has a kind of dimension where it connects us to something that's sacred or divine or something of ultimate meaning, of ultimate value that we have. Um, and certainly that's true in much of uh, Buddhism, that compassion in particular is connected to some of the deepest values that Buddhism has. Like some of you know that it's said to be the two wings of Buddhism is compassion and wisdom. And these two wings need to fly, fl- flap together. Because a bird that only flaps with one wing doesn't go very far. So um, in exploring compassion, there has to be uh, has to be a balance with our wisdom, and so that the compassion is appropriate, realistic, and wisdom also, as said, needs to be balanced with compassion. So the wisdom is not cold or, or you know, too removed or disconnected. Um, so the other thing I want to say about. Um, so you find uh, different teachers or different Buddhist traditions uh, describing the connection between these four forms of love in different ways. So, the, so loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Um, in the Theravada tradition, the tendency is to see loving kindness as the foundation, the basic wishing people to be well, no, uh, wishing uh, goodness and happiness for people, a certain kind of friendliness, as the base. And then when that basic friendliness encounters someone who's suffering, it uh, morphs into compassion, which uh, is expressed in the phrase, may you be free of suffering. Sympathetic joy, I mean, uh, uh, loving kindness is usually uh, characterized by may you be happy. So it's a little different, right? Um, When basic friendliness encounters someone who is happy and successful and things are going really well, then it takes the form of sympathetic joy and the, and the expression of that is, um, may your happiness and success continue. Kind of rejoicing in that happiness. And then equanimity is when you have love for someone, you have the basic friendliness and, and they are usually there's some difficulty they're going through, some suffering. And you maybe have some compassion, but compassion isn't really the right thing to have because there's nothing you can do for them whatsoever. They're heading down a bad way. And so sometimes equanimity is a form of love where you recognize you love them, but uh, you let them make their own choice, their own decision, where you don't get wrapped up or entangled too much with it. That's a whole, I'll explore that in a few months. But so if the basic friendliness morphs into these other three, depending on what it encounters. And I've heard that in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, they've used, where compassion is like the, you know, all there is. <laughs> Compa- you know, Tibetan Buddhism, they just champion compassion left and right. I mean, they're like, that's their, real beautifully their specialty. And it's very, very central to their whole enterprise of, the, the bodhisattva path. And so there, uh, so maybe it's not surprising then for there, they see compassion as the foundational Brahma Vihara, 
foundational, at least four loves. And, when, and so it's starting with there, if it encounters someone who is um, uh, not suffering, then uh, you don't wish them not to suffer, but you rather you wish them to be happy. If you encounter someone who is happy and successful, then it trans- that compassion transforms into, may you continue your happiness and success. And then equanimity somehow arises out of that too sometimes. So which of these is, which, which is the true foundation? <laughs> you know, I think that's a silly question, right? Um, you're lucky to have any one of them as your foundation. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, and, uh, take what you get. And if you're in a tradition that emphasizes one over the other, it's great, either way. And then perhaps, um, you know, as you in, go into the world with whatever foundation you have, it'll appropriately morph and change into what's needed. But in thinking about this, um, I wonder whether, you know, who knows what love is, right? I mean, I don't even know what compassion is. And you guys came to listen, to be here. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, who knows what love is? And, and I say that because perhaps the human, the, the ecology of the human heart or the human mind is, is fairly complex and it morphs and changes. And it's um, different for different people because of their life experiences, their conditioning, how their particular physiology of mind, heart works, um, what gets emphasized, what doesn't. Some people, you know, there's always differences in people, learning differences, many different ways in which people feel and sense the world. And so perhaps it's not any one thing, any of these things. And perhaps they're just simply ways of dividing up the pie. If you have a round pie that's whole, um, it can be divided many ways. It can be divided in half, it can be divided in in quarters and eighths. Uh, It can be divided non-symmetrically, where, you know, one person uh, slices a big piece out of the pie and someone else takes a sliver. There's many ways of cutting the pie, but it's still the pie. So the same in the human being, the human capacity to to analyze, measure, differentiate uh, what's going on inside the human being is, um, you know, we can, we can look at it different ways. We can take and measure distance either in feet or in meters. And which one is the true way? You know, maybe in Europe you, you think one way, in America it's the true way, but, but you know, there's no true way, it's just, it's just a way of dividing it up. So perhaps this idea of the four... Brahma-viharas, maybe they're not essentially true things. It's just a very convenient way of kind of organizing the human pie. So that's a long introduction to say that I'm going to offer a little different one as the foundation for for love. And that is um, uh, basic warmth. Basic human warmth. So who knows what that is? But uh, some people, when they hear the idea of warmth, um, you know, it kind of resonates. As a person was, I felt very warm. You say that, you know, it felt, you know, that person was had a lot of warmth towards me, or I felt a lot of warmth to that person. And what exactly is that warmth? Uh, you know, it's not so clear. What, what exactly is it? So, what, what are some ideas you have? Of, if you go along with me to explore this idea of warmth. That's the way we look at the human pie today, for now. 
What would you, how would you describe basic human warmth? Warmth, feeling warm-hearted towards someone. None of you know, has any idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes? Wait for the mic, please. first thing that came up for me was um, a quality of holding or, or being held or feeling held. So being a quality of being held. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Feeling, feeling held, feeling safe, feeling... Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So feeling held and feeling safe. Yeah. The warmth comes from or involves or is connected to feeling safe and warm. So when someone, you feel warmth from someone, you feel somehow, even if they're physically holding you, you feel you're, you're held and safe in their in their presence. Yeah, and the uh, quality of being able to relax into that. The quality relaxed. What comes to mind is like being um, like being a child and feeling held by my mom, or when I go home and just this letting go and feeling, oh, there's nothing to worry about. There's nothing I need to do. I can just be uh-huh. at ease. Mm-hmm. Feel beautiful, safe. beautiful. So feeling that kind of warmth. And how about when you feel warmth towards someone else? Um, then a wanting, a sort of a, a movement in that direction for them, uh, kind of um, wanting them to feel held so that they, they have a quality of ease in their being. Like, it's okay. You're safe. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. Someone else? Uh, straight back to your right. Um, I think of warmth as something that I experience in my body, that um, it conveys a sense of softness and openness, which actually goes along with body temperature, because if I feel constricted, my hands are, are colder. And if I feel open and soft and relaxed and warm towards someone, my hands are warmer. And so it's something I, I directly experience in my, my body. So, so warmth is something you feel in your body directly and you, you relate it to not only physical sense of warmth but also sense of being relaxed and open and soft. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. Uh, well, when I am perceiving warmth in someone else, or I'm feeling warmth towards someone, I smile. <laughs> it's it's just that simple, and and the smile conveys uh, a welcome to the other person, and I'm giving a welcome to the other person and receiving it. To make it to pass it to your left. So warmth is connected to smiles. I think of the word radiance. When I feel warm towards somebody, I feel almost as though I'm radiating my energy toward them. Uh-huh. And that if, they're, if I'm experiencing their warmth, I feel like they're very approachable and uh, very sort of just very present. They're not distracted. They're really with me like that. Great, so a radiance and a presence, connectedness, being close. Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, for me, it's like some of the other um, expressions, but it's a heart. I actually feel it in my heart, and it feels heart to heart. There don't have to be words or anything. And um, a few days ago, I had a, a, a significant experience of warmth that was um, with someone... A woman from Shanghai was uh, staying with me, and she didn't have English, and I didn't have her language, though we tried. She's the wife of my cousin who was there. And um, then we had a Day of the Dead celebration in my home, and she um, spoke um, in Chinese about, or in Shanghai, about her... um, her relationship with her loved one who had died. And um, she spoke with emotion, and my heart just connected. It was very profound, and I didn't know what exactly the words were. But it it physiologically was activated. It was Mm. um, like radiant... um, and the body temperature, the feeling of warmth, what some of the other people have said. And it was very powerful. And after that, I felt differently towards her because it just broke through something. A very human contact. Beautiful. Even though not knowing what she was talking about, the, the, the human expression that came through was enough to touch you in some way. And so, in this warmth, maybe that you felt, um, or that you describe here, can you imagine, or is a sense that there, there is a kind of warmth that can exist? Very simple. I don't know if I want to use a kind of pri- primitive or primal or basic that is there, can be there, without it necessarily be, being understood as loving kindness or friendliness or compassion. Do you have a sense that there's a kind of basic warmth or tenderness like that? Is that something that you can, some of you can recognize? And, and um, so imagine that you're sitting on the bus. And um, on a seat in the bus. And you're by the window. And the seat next to you on the aisle is free. And someone gets on the bus. And maybe they ask, is that seat free? And you say yes, and they sit down next to you. Can you maybe imagine or remember when, what it's like to meet or receive that person next to you, a complete stranger, with warmth? And how is it to experience that stranger cold? You know, I've certainly been on buses like that and been cold, you know, like, you know, look out the window. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm not going to look at the person, you know, look out the window, look down, anything, anywhere, anywhere but to, you know, to my right, to left where the person's maybe sitting, you know. And then I've also had the experience of, you know, being delighted. This complete stranger next to each other and just kind of feeling some warmth. And, and sometimes it's not met, you know, they're looking the other way. 
I mean, they're kind of like closed and contracted, but, but I feel soft and, oh, this is delightful. I feel this warmth. And I don't need anything. It's like I don't need to even connect to them, but I just feel this warmth. And, and, and occasionally it's nice where that it's mutual and smiles meet or something. So this is a pretty basic human quality. Tenderness, warmth. Some people are more kinesthetic, so they feel these things more in their body. Some people are not so much in their body in that way. Not wrong, just some people are more, maybe understand the world or oriented much more through thoughts. And so it's the it's ideas somehow to help them, to guide them with this. Some people, you know, are... We're all different ways, so I don't want to point to that have to be a certain way here. But I am hoping that some of you, all of you, could somehow find yourself in this simple idea of warmth, being warm and being cold. Um, I've been told that um, it's because of the England, English developed in England, <laughs> that uh, we associate warmth with such a good, positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that in India, where it's so hot, uh, what's valued is being cool. The um, nibbana, nirvana, is sometimes described as a, a real cool. You know, and to say you know you, you know you know I experienced nirvana and God, I was really cool. I, I don't think that quite works in English. Um, I don't know you know, but to feel warm warmth so I hope that some you can find your way find yourself in there because what I'd like to ask you to do is to um, we'll take about 10 minutes hopefully your bladders can hold out if not you can always go but um, uh, uh, hook up with one other person and have a simple conversation well have a conversation it's not be simple have a conversation (laughs) with a person about uh, recounting how it's like for you, what it feels like, what's, what the circumstances are like, what it feels like in your body, what it feels like in your mind, what you t- how you tend to think, um, how you tend to act when there's, uh, you're more in the warmth camp. When you're on the bus and the person sits down next to you, interested next to you and you feel warm, you have a warmth. What's that like for you? What happens? How do you, how do you engage the world in that place? And what is it like for you when you're feeling closed or cold, co- contracted, you know, not, you know, hard, and someone sits down next to you on the bus? How is that? What do you, how do you tend to think, feel, react in that circumstance? I think we all go through the range, so there's no need to be embarrassed. Uh, you can if you want to, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, I think it's nice just to kind of Almost hear yourself as you talk about yourself. It's not, and when we do these exercises, it's not so much you're saying something, it's very different than ordinary conversations because it's not, the purpose is not really to inform your partner about, so they know something about yourself so much. It's much more a way of explore something so you can explore it on your own as you speak out loud. Um, And uh, if you find yourself telling a a story which is long and convoluted and you know it really well, uh, just kind of get to the point quickly because you know maybe it's more useful for you to kind of get to the end and push the boundaries of your thinking beyond that 
as opposed to say the same worn out story. Um, so to have a conversation back and forth just to talk about this topic and, um, and have just an open conversation. Just go back and forth, talk as it seems appropriate, you know, the conversation back and forth. But what I ask each of you to do, each partner, is both of you have to be very, very attentive that somehow uh, you more or less have equal time. That one person is not talking eight minutes and the other person two minutes. But somehow it goes back and forth. I'll take a few, a few comments and then we'll stop for a break. So, um, first, a more open, open question for you. What was that like? Uh, what occurred to you? What was any, any insights or understandings that came from that discussion for you you'd like to share? So, do we have the other mic also? Isn't oh okay. So why don't we start with Megan? I was really interested in what was blocking my compassion, and uh, some of the insights that came to me was that um, if I'm tired, if I don't sleep enough, if I don't take care of myself in that way, my heart is much less apt to open up to someone. And the other real big one for me is uh, if I'm in a hurry. If I'm, if I'm rushing around, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not open to other people. So a big lesson for me is to try to, like, un- undo some of the stress in my life, maybe take on a bit less, slow down a little bit. So that was very helpful. Great. Thank you. Uh, it was fun to do. Um, I thought of uh, a fear in me, a physical feeling of fear, or the lack of fear as, as a touchstone of whether I'm feeling warm or cold. And then I wondered about when I allowed myself the fantasy of going out and encountering in an angry way the blower man, yeah. how that relates to <laughs> cold and warm. And, and I, I, I thought maybe it was sort of hot, like caustic hot. So we, um, a portion of our conversation ended up uh, being about warmth and boundaries. And you touched on that a little bit. But situations where um, warmth become, becomes neediness or attachment or where um, warmth is encountered with um, downloading from the other side, mm-hmm. or where uh, warmth is, um, there's no real container for that, and um, the empathy overblows, and you carry that, um, the emotions and the grief, for example, from the other person, you keep carrying it for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, how to relate to that warmth in a way that is um, sustainable. Beautiful. It's a great, great question. So sometimes war- warmth, uh, when handled the wrong way, uh, can transform itself into all kinds of things which are a burden to have. Um. I guess there's a lot to say on this subject. Um, 
but I think as we were talking and just something that I really recognize for myself, compassion removes or sheds the layer of self and other. Compassion removes the the layer, the layer of between of separation between self and other. Uh-huh. Beautiful. So, are you, yes. Yeah, for for me, um, I'm very kinesthetic, you know, and that's has positive and negatives. I connect with that warmth. You might be kinesthetic also, where there's warmth, and then there's heat. And the way I tell the difference between warmth and heat is to look at how much I'm relaxed. You know, the warmth for me appears, you know, and we use words, and I love to paint really weird pictures. <laughs> you know, so take the words with a grain of salt. I actually visualize or experience this warmth as a relaxation where the blood vessels just open. And the heat just rises right to the surface of the skin. And I look at how much I'm, I'm relaxed. And, and they come together. Now, I can still have a lot of energy. And I see the energy sometimes as a shakiness. And that shakiness is, is almost like excess energy that's being relaxed. Or because of the relaxation, the energy shows. I'm not sure what it is. So that, those kind of things get confused in my experience. Warmth, energy, what appears to be nervousness, but it's, I don't feel nervous, and, or heat. Mm-hmm. And then heat, the way I experience heat is that it's, it doesn't have that relaxed feeling. Right. And so, so, so the idea that there can be warmth, but warmth can have problems. Like we don't know how to hold the warmth or... But also, it could uh, be confused, or it can move into other things like heat, angry heat, or tension, uh, and get cold. So, but imagine the simplicity of just feeling the most simple, ordinary, innocent situation. Nothing's required of you. No one's asking anything of you. But you feel somehow warm-hearted towards someone. Um, tender towards them, warm-hearted. Maybe it's a complete stranger. Maybe you're never going to have a conversation, but something you pass them and you somehow feel warm towards them, a warmth to them. Is there any um, happiness in that? What, what's the nature of that happiness? I mean, not like you're giggling, right? Or, you know, what, what's, what, what, how would you characterize that, the happiness that might be connected to a simple, clean form of warmth? Warm, how would you just characterize that? If you can move it, yeah. Well, it's a sense of really being connected and present. I work in a skyscraper, so where in a skyscraper on the twenty-first floor, and so a lot of things happen in that elevator. (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot of time in it, (laughs) but it's really fascinating how just the the sense that sense of relaxation and people in there who's worried or who's scared and like if I'm feeling quite warm and happy and content and relaxed nothing will be said for those 21 uh, floors and then people will turn and say you have a good day (laughs) (laughs) well I was going to say 
contentment too. It's like if you're walking down a street and it's a beautiful day and you may just be aware of the blue sky or the mm -hmm. sun or, or such, but then this feeling that other people are somehow, and I couldn't even describe it, feeling positive to you or you're feeling sort of positive back and forth, it's just one more thing about, well, everything's all right. This mm. is a good time to be, or I feel. I mean, it could just be contentment and could be like exuberant joy, but it's like of a peace with being one with mm. everything. Beautiful. So it can be contentment, but also a great, great joy sometimes, but a feeling of feeling, feeling connected or one with things. Very nice. More, more comments about the nature of the I, happiness um, that can come with... I feel with. a sense of well-being for the people. Uh -huh. um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be happy or particularly joyful. Actually, sometimes when I see people walking around and they look very sad or um, mm. troubled, that sense comes up of just that warmth of, oh, I hope you're okay. You know, I hope whatever you're carrying you can let go of. And, that, and, and, and for you, there's, there's, there's some kind of happiness inside it, well-being. You call um, it well-being. Yeah, in, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as happiness all the time, but sometimes it's just recognizing that I'm able to connect with a human being without them even recognizing the connection. And that feels, that feels good? Or it feels good, right, yeah. Or I think it just, yeah, it feels so, right. Um, so a good feeling there. Yeah. Okay, great. I think that feeling of warmth you just asked about um, is connected to being alive and, and feeling life in yourself. And, and Well, being connected to, to life and things that are alive and feeling the life within yourself. And the discussion we had earlier about feeling warm and cold, I had a, a similar thought. And they come, from, you know, the idea of being cold is dead and the idea of being warm is alive and heat uh, um, and, and, and for me all of that warmth has to do with a, a sense of life and being connected yeah. to everything else that's alive nice so I think that for many people a simple feeling of tenderness or warmth warm heartedness feeling of warmth towards you know, basic warmth, before there's even friendliness, before there's a compassion, before there's kindness, just a sense of warmth, um, uh, comes with some kind of sense of well-being. I, I think it's often quite connected. You usually don't feel distressed <laughs> when you're feeling kind of warmth. And, um, and, um, and when the warmth is towards someone in particular, they benefit to some degree. But also, you benefit because there's a sense of well-being here. And so the analogy that's uh, given sometimes for this is um, petting a cat. And the cat's on your lap and purring. Uh, so who's benefiting? <laughs> I mean, they, clearly the cat somehow is benefiting. <laughs> But uh, are you benefiting also from the opportunity to pet the cat and feel the, feel the cat purring and feeling connected and something flows inside of us, right? And it feels quite good. 
So this idea of mutual benefit, that in our warmth, in our care for others, in our connecting to others, there's a way in which we benefit as well. It's, that's visceral and palpable and you can feel. That maybe it's comparable to that, you know, petting a cat. So, I wanted to use this discussion of warmth as a foundation for discussion about compassion. And, uh, and I was with the idea that perhaps there is something that is there before even compassion. Because compassion starts getting a little more complicated. Um, but maybe there's some very basic human aspect of warmth that we're capable of that um, even so it, it can be unpremeditated even. And maybe, maybe some of you have the experience of just feeling happy for maybe no good reason at all and walking down the street on a sunny day and feeling happy and you, you, you meet someone at the bus stop or something, a stranger, and because you're happy, you're more likely to have kind of, you know, you're warm-hearted to them. There's a kind of openness to them or a softness with them, a receptivity to them that they might feel, that's a warm-hearted person. Um, so they have simple warmth. So I think this is a good time to take a break before we explore this further. And um, uh, let's take a 20-minute break. So it's now 5 minutes to 11. So let's start again in here at 11.15.